song we just sang, I actually uh, didn't know that song, but uh, it's called Open My Eyes, and that goes really, really well with what our lesson is here this morning. Um, I'm excited to start a new year with you all. Uh, this is This is... On the one hand, this is the beginning of my third year here as the, the preacher, but also it's the beginning of a new year. It's the beginning of 2023. And one thing that I do uh, every year with, uh, as I kind of organize my lessons throughout the year is I try to come up with a uniting or, or unifying theme that can uh, be an emphasis uh, throughout the year that a lot of the series that I preach on or a lot of the topics that I choose will revolve around that theme And the theme that we have this year deals a lot with opening our eyes. Uh, For 2023, the theme this year is Christ vision. And what I mean by that is there's a million different ways you can look at the world. There's a million different ways that you can see uh, different uh, topics or different uh, experiences or, or different people as they arise and as they appear in your life. But not all of those ways stem from the same source. Not all of those are consistent with uh, who Jesus is or what Jesus is. In fact, we live in a world where most people, the way they view everything is away from and apart from who Jesus is. And we all, as Christians, have made the decision that we're going to live differently. We're going to see the world differently. We're going to be able to see Jesus in the world around us, and we're going to look at the world through what we know about Jesus. We're going to look at the world through our experience of Jesus. We're going to look at the world through the cross of Jesus. And that really does change the way that you see virtually everything. Because we all face the same problems. We all see the same headlines in the news. We all experience the same hardships. But what Christians have as we experience those things is a framework, a lens through which we look. And that lens is Jesus. Basically, we all have a worldview. But our Christian worldview is supposed to be centered on who Jesus is and what he's done. Um, We all see the same world, and we all live in the same world. But Christians are looking through a different lens. And so throughout the year, what I'd like to do is take a look at the world around us. Take a look at some of the important things that we have to deal with in this world. Some of the difficult things that we face in this world. Some of the big questions that arise as we look at this world. But then look at them not necessarily as we want to. Or maybe even not necessarily as seems natural to us. But try to look at the world through the lens of Jesus. Because if you only ever look at the world in the way that feels most natural to you, if you only ever look at the world uh, in a way that, uh, that you know, seems like it stems from your innermost being, then you're probably just looking at the world however you want to. Um, looking at the world through the lens of Jesus means sometimes you have to accept things that you don't like it means sometimes you have to believe things even if you don't agree with them because our beliefs don't stem from our own hearts and minds our beliefs are supposed to stem from jesus if you agree with everything you've ever read in the bible there's a good chance that uh you're interpreting the bible in light of what you want it to say rather than looking at the bible through the lens of jesus um when you talk about worldview, um, there's, a, there's a board game. I don't know how many people here have ever played it. Raise your hand. If you've ever played the board, name, uh, board game Codenames. Okay, some people have played it. Not too many. Okay. Uh, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time explaining the rules. But basically, you end up with a board, and there's a bunch of words on that board. And you have a team. And some of those words, if you get your teammate to guess that word, then your team gets a point. 
However, if they end up guessing the wrong word, the other team can get a point. And if they guess the really wrong word, you lose. Uh, And so you can say like a one-word clue, and they have to try to pick up your, your word from the board. All right, so the reason it can get tricky is because, say, on the board, there's a word uh, fish and a word boat. And you're trying to get them to guess the word fish, but the other team has the word boat. And you say, um, ocean. Well, they're going to look at the board and they're going to think, ocean, that, that kind of relates to fish, but that also kind of relates to boats, and I don't know which word to pick. So you have to choose one where only your words will be chosen and not the other team's words. There's a lot more to it than that. Hopefully that gives you a basic idea. Why am I talking about this game? Because one time, Lauren and I were playing with some good friends of ours, and uh, the game was on the line. It was like our final move, and we needed this point in order to get it. And since I'm pretty sure uh, he, does, he doesn't live here, near here, and I'm pretty sure he never listens to my lessons, I'll finally admit I probably lost us the game. Um, I, I made a blunder. Um, because I said a word, and I, was, I, think, I think it was the word hammer was on there, and I was trying to get him. No, 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 it was the word hand that was on there. And I was trying to get him to pick that word, and I chose the word a hammer. Um, you know, because you hold a hammer with your hand. Um, but there was also, and the thought didn't even occur to me, the word shark. And there's kind of a, uh, a, a well-known type of shark called a hammerhead shark. So I said the word uh, hammer. He chose shark. We lose. You know what? Forget what I said earlier. It is his fault. Um, <laughs> but the reason I bring that up <clears throat> is because he and I, are looking at the exact same board and the exact same words. And even though we're seeing with our eyes the exact same thing, we're thinking very different things as, as we look at it. Why? Well, imagine earlier that day I had been using a hammer for something and I had hit my thumb. And so I have a very strong connection in my head between hammer and hand right now or hammer and, and thumb. You know, That's what I'm thinking about. Whereas he, let's say, had been watching Shark Week and had been spending all day looking at hammerhead sharks and, and thinking those are odd-looking things. And like we, we have very different frameworks that we're looking. So then all of a sudden, when we hear a word and we look at the exact same board, our minds are going in different places. Why? We've had different experiences. We might have different uh, knowledge bases to draw from. We might think of different things when we hear different vocabulary. And the same is true in a much grander sense For everyone in this world, whether we're talking about what generation we live in or whether we're talking about uh, what our experiences have been, how much money we have, how much education we have, all of these different things, they show us the world in a slightly different color. And we begin to see things from a slightly different perspective. And when that happens, that's why people who otherwise are rational, good human beings, who they could work together at the same job, or they might be able to uh, um, you know, play games and, and have a fun time with each other, you bring up a political question, and all of a sudden, they're both going to try to be honest with what they're feeling inside. They'll have completely different gut reactions to it. And a lot of that has to do with your worldview. A lot of that has to do with the way that your uh, intuitions have been shaped year after year after year by your experiences, by your community, by your friends, by your household in which you were raised, all of these different things. And what makes the church tough is what we're asked to do 
is get people from every different walk of life there is, the rich and the poor, uh, the, the people of different ethnic backgrounds, people of different racial backgrounds, people of different uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, male, female, different generations, and we put them all together in one building, and we say, you are now one. You are now a united body. You are now one collective whole, one family, under God and before God, and you're supposed to live in that type of unity. And I got news for you. There are people here in this building who, if it were not for one unifying factor, probably would have nothing to do with each other otherwise. You would never sit at the same table with this person. You would never do something for enjoyment with this person. You wouldn't be friends with this person. But there is one overarching thing that has brought you here, and that's Jesus. And so what we're going to try to do this year is not look at the world primarily through what generation we're raised in, or through how much money we have, or through how much education we have, or through all of these different lenses that you can put on to see the world, we're going to try to see what it looks like to look at the world through Jesus. Christ Vision 2023. Um, We're going to start off with an example of Paul doing this. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We actually had a a good class on 2 Corinthians. The the class on Sunday morning keeps tying into the the lesson on Sunday uh, morning also, so that's that's helpful if you're in that class. Um, (laughs) But we talked a little bit about 2 Corinthians, and there's a lot more you can go into about 2 Corinthians, but there is a really fascinating discussion in chapter 3, and it deals uh, with the Old Covenant, as we call it, and the New Covenant. And when you think Old Covenant, don't think uh, Old Testament, like, like 39 books of your Bible. Think about the agreement between Israel and God. Uh, their agreement, the foundation of their relationship with him. Think about like the exodus out of Egypt and the, the, the Torah and the agreement that they made with each other that God would be their God and they would be his people. And that was the foundation of their salvation. That was the foundation of their uh, covenant and their walk with him. Like think about an agreement rather than a list of books. Same is true for the New Testament. When you think of the new covenant, the Bible isn't usually talking about a, a, a list of books when it uses that language. It's like 27 New Testament books. It's usually talking about our agreement with God. The deal that we made through Jesus, through the death and resurrection, when we uh, have been washed and cleansed by his blood. The, the deal we remember when we take the Lord's Supper every, every week. Think of the agreement that we have. And what Paul's going to be doing is comparing the agreement that they had with God, the covenant they had with God, with glory that is fading and it will not last, and the agreement that we now have with God, a, a covenant agreement that endures. And he's going to use a couple of different images, uh, and, and the language is going to vary a little bit, to describe these two different pacts, these two different deals that we have with God. But he's going to mention something fascinating, I think, as you read through it, that, that relates to, our, to our, our, uh, our theme. He's going to talk about the way the the Old Testament is read, or the way that you can read the Old Covenant. Uh, and he mentions that some do it with a veil on that prevents them from seeing certain things in there. But when you become a, a Christian, when you turn to Christ, the veil is removed, and all of a sudden you're looking at the same texts, you're reading the same scriptures, you're reading the same Bible, but you're able to see different things in there. He's talking about a way that Jesus changes the way even that you see the Bible. Jesus changes, changes the way you read the Bible. 
So if you're not a Christian, and there are some brilliant people who are not Christians who have spent their lives studying the Bible. I, 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 you can, like, there, there are people like professors at universities who teach religion, who teach biblical studies. Who, they teach it, but they don't believe it. Uh, and they're brilliant people. They're going to read the Bible differently as a non-Christian than someone who is a Christian reading the Bible. Uh, we are reading through a different lens. Even the words, they might be the same words, but they're going to hit them differently than they hit us. Uh, we're going to see different things that they don't, that they don't see, and, and, and vice versa. And Paul is going to talk about uh, Jews who are reading the Bible who have not turned to Jesus will read it differently than people reading the Bible who have turned to Jesus. And so I, want, I just want to uh, look at a couple of... of uh, of the, the words here in 2 Corinthians 3, just kind of as, a, as an illustration of using Christ's vision, Paul's talking about using it even when you're just reading the Bible. Uh, verse 4, Paul says, Such confidence we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves or uh, to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who makes us adequate as servants of the new covenant, not of the letter but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Notice the language of letter versus Spirit. Uh, he's going to say here in just a minute, the Spirit through which you're reading he's talking about is Jesus. So there's a way of reading which is just letter. And ultimately, if you read it that way, it's not going to lead you to life. But if you read through the Spirit, who is Jesus then it will all of a sudden become illuminating in a lot of ways. A cov the covenant read solely by the letter is not going to bring life. The covenant read through the Spirit of Jesus is going to ultimately bring life. Uh, verse 7, he says, But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones, that's the letter, just the bare what it says on there, uh, letters engraved on stone came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more, uh, to be even more with glory? Right, the, he's relying on an Old Testament image there. Moses would go up to the mountain, and this was the letter that he received. Um, and he would receive the law, and he'd come down, and because he had been in the presence of God, his face was shining with glory. Uh, it was so much so that the people wanted him to cover it. So he ended up putting a veil on his face to hide some of the radiant glory that was uh, expressed there. Uh, and so Moses would have to come down actually face covered with a veil, and then he would uh, address the people, and he would speak to the people about what he had received up there. And what Paul is saying is, if, if the covenant that ultimately wouldn't last had that much glory that he had to cover his face, think about how much glory our covenant will have that will last. And all of a sudden he's comparing glory, and the illustration he's using is how shiny a face is and whether or not you have to put a veil over it. That's going to become important here in a second because uh, he's going to further elaborate on that image. But verse 9, he says, For if the ministry of condemnation, that's talking about the old covenant, had glory... Much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. So it's like what you thought was glory isn't even glory at all because there's something else that's so much more glorious it surpasses it so far you can't even see that previous glory. Um, verse 12. 
Therefore, having such hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened. And then notice this phrase. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. If you ever read through the New Testament and you see that they're using Old Testament passages to talk about Jesus, that it would have if Jesus hadn't come and died and risen, no one would have ever seen him in that passage. Like, you can only see it that way because of the experience you've had with Jesus. You know, I've, I've likened it before to, uh, you know, there's, say you went on a great vacation with someone. And you love that person. You had a wonderful time. It's the greatest vacation you ever went on. And then years down the road, uh, maybe you drift apart or maybe that person dies or something happens. Whenever you look back to that vacation... You're not going to see it exactly as you did before those later events took place. You might see it and remember that was wonderful, but there's going to be a pinch of grief there as you remember the loss of that person that you were once so close to, be it a spouse or, or a dear friend or someone. Like, there are certain experiences that can change the way you view even your own past to where you can't even view your own life the way that it once was. I think the same thing is true with Scripture. Um, Reading scripture before Jesus and reading scripture after Jesus is a different exercise. Uh, Jesus changed everything. He even changed the way that scripture is read so that Paul could say there are some people who they read the exact same words on the page as we do. They read it, uh, the the old covenant, they read Moses, they read the exact same manuscripts and all that stuff, but they don't see what we see because there's still that veil. The one that Moses wore, it's still there, he says. That veil only comes off when someone turns to the Lord. Once you believe in Jesus, then all of a sudden you reread those texts and you can begin to see Jesus there in ways that you had never seen him before. Two different ways of reading, two different lenses that you're looking through. One is showing you a lot more because of Jesus and the other one uh, is showing you a lot less. That's just one example But he's talking about reading with Christ vision there. And all of a sudden you can see the Old Covenant in a new and and incredible way that you could not see previously. Paul is probably actually an expert on talking about this because he's read both ways. And he's been an expert both ways. He was an expert reading without Jesus and an expert reading with Jesus. And even the same words begin to take on new meaning because he's wearing his Christ lens, uh, because he's using Christ vision, because he's taken off the veil so that now he can see Christ more clearly as he looks at the world around him, specifically scripture. Well, I think that's true about the Bible. I think it's definitely true about the way we view the Bible, but I also think that same illustration could be true about the way we see all sorts of things, the way we see politics, the way we see family, the way we see church, the way you see work, The way you see all of these different things that arise in your life, when you're looking at them with the veil removed, or when you're looking at them through the the image of Christ, you'll begin to see each of those in a new light. That's what we're going to try to do in 2023. In fact, that's what the early church had to do a lot. Um, You know, the early church had the same problems and struggles that so many other people have, 
And they had all adopted this new faith centered around Jesus, and they had to figure out how is it that we approach this problem now. I know how I would have approached it before becoming a Christian. How is it that I'm supposed to view and approach this now that I am a Christian? And a lot of times they really struggled with it. A lot of Paul's letters, they're called occasional letters, not because they happened occasionally, but because there were certain occasions that, that led to him needing to write a letter. So you have a church that all of a sudden this occasion happens, this, this event happens, this uh, controversy arises, and they're thinking, okay, I don't know exactly how to face this. I know what I think, and he knows what he thinks. How is it that if we're really focusing our hearts and our minds and our vision on Christ— How are we supposed to see this? And then Paul will usually, through his guidance and wisdom in the Spirit, his experiences with Jesus, his time spent thinking deeply about who Jesus is, he will respond and he'll give uh, answers or he'll give guidance as to how they are supposed to approach these various issues. One of those uh, letters that does this very clearly is the letter of 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians, as you make your way through it, it's just problem after problem that Paul is trying to help them address, not as a person trying to to do as good as he can in the business world, not as, you know, a a professor, not as a, a, um, you know, a a parent thinking about what's best for children, as a Christian thinking about how to view this through Jesus. That's the lens that he's going to try to use. And he's going to talk about factions and divisions in the church. That's a real problem. And he's going to talk about how you go about solving those and and working through those through the image of Christ. He's going to talk about things like sexual immorality. There's a different sexual ethic when you look at the world once you put on your Christ glasses. Once you start looking at the world through Jesus, sex no longer is the same thing it used to be. Sex changes. And Paul is going to, to, he'll, he'll use language like, you are not your own. You know, you have been bought with a price. The Holy Spirit is in your body now. That means what you do in your body matters and it's closely connected to God. So you need to live viewing the world in that way. That's really not the way a person would think if they hadn't heard of Jesus or didn't know Jesus. You know what? You wouldn't think, well, the Holy, my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and I am owned by Jesus. I was bought with his blood on the cross, and so I'm no longer in control of my own decisions with respect to my sexual ethics, but rather I've given myself over to Jesus. That's what Paul's going to say. Um, when it comes to, uh, to lawsuits, um, there are Christians who are suing each other. And you think, okay, uh, I know how I would think about that apart from Jesus. I'd try to think, how could I get the most money out of this deal? You know, that's, that's one way to try to think about a lawsuit. Or how can this end quickly and easily? Paul is going to address it from a very different mindset. And he's, he's going to say some rather interesting things about it. He's going to say, look, you guys have the spirit of Jesus in you. You are people who have become a community centered and focused around the kingship and the lordship of Jesus. Why are you going to pagans thinking you're going to get more justice there than you would as a community of people who are viewing the world the same way. Don't be suing each other and relying on the the justice of the pagans. Rather, use the justice that comes from Jesus. Do you not know that you're going to judge angels? And by the way, when he writes that, my answer would be, no, (laughs) I didn't know that at all. Apparently, Paul thinks that we will be judging angels. But he's saying, if God's going to trust you to do that, then certainly you can work through some of these issues yourself. He talks about temple prostitution. He talks about marriage and celibacy. Those are things that uh, Paul has a different take on because of his time spent with Jesus. Eating idol meat, um, the Christian meal or the Lord's Supper, gifts in the church, 
love itself. First Corinthians 13 is one of the most memorable passages in all of Scripture because he teaches about love. But he's going to teach about love in a different way than people have heard love taught about before. He's going to view love differently because of who Jesus is. So even the definition of love takes on wholly new meaning and ramification when you consider it through the lens of Jesus. The resurrection and life and death. Some of the biggest questions we have about who we are as people, he looks at the topic of resurrection and life after death, not based on a scientific study of the body. He does it based on looking at what happened with Jesus and seeing that Jesus becomes our example of what we have to look forward to. Jesus is the first fruits of the harvest that will follow, and we will become part of that harvest. When you become a Christian, you've agreed to put on these glasses. You've agreed to view the world in a new way, and the Bible is one of our greatest guides in helping us do that. Now, along the way, Paul sometimes is, has to face topics and problems that there might not be a clear book, chapter, and verse Bible answer to. Or Jesus might not have specifically said, this is what you do in this instance. Because the reality is, as time moves along, all kinds of new issues and problems arise. And one of the things that I've heard before and said before, and I think it's true, is one of the goals and purposes of the Bible is not always to teach us exactly what to think on every topic. But rather, it's to mold us and shape us so that we know how to think about different topics. Uh, Paul has to do that very thing, even in the letter to 1 Corinthians. As he's dealing with some of the questions about marriage and celibacy, notice these words that he says. He says, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no commandment from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. What he's saying is, I've spent a lot of time in spiritual reflection upon how to view the world through Jesus, on how Jesus has shaped the world and how Jesus has shaped me. And I might not have an exact word from Jesus on this topic, but I'm going to give you my judgment as someone who has spent a lot of time thinking about Jesus, as someone who's trustworthy spiritually. I think there are going to be times as we look through the world around us, you're going to be able to find certain topics that it's not always easy to find an explicit, this is what the Bible says about this. Um, But I do think that as we grow in wisdom and as we grow as a community and as we grow as a people shaped by Jesus, that we can begin to come up with or or discover answers uh, that can help guide us with wisdom through difficult issues. But then there's uh, other—this is from the same letter. Paul writes, uh, But if anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should recognize that the things I am writing to you are a commandment of the Lord. So there are some things that Paul sees, and I think he feels a lot more confident in what he's writing, saying, I'm not just giving you my judgment as a trustworthy spiritual leader. Rather, what I'm doing is I'm telling you what Jesus says. Um, There are some things that, no matter what direction our world turns, and no matter how we have to address them, there's really only one faithful answer. And that's the answer that comes from Jesus. Sometimes we have to give that answer, too, regardless of how popular it is. And so as we look at the world around us, there are going to be all kinds of topics that we're going to address this year. Things that we're going to discuss and talk about that the way we view Jesus and the way we look through Jesus at these topics should affect the way that we believe and interpret these things. Your purpose as a human being in life. What is marriage? What is family? What about children? What about parents? 
Those are all questions that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to view differently than if you weren't. Uh, politics. Politics should definitely be viewed differently as followers of Jesus. One thing that Jesus came doing is bringing the very kingdom of God to earth. If you are a part of the kingdom of God, that's political language. Uh, that's going to change the way you view the partisan politics in the world around us. Because you have a different politic coming from a different leader. And that should shape you in a lot of ways. Your neighbors. How should you treat your neighbors? And who should you view as your neighbor? You know, if I were to just go and ask someone, hey, who's your neighbor? They might say, John. He's been my neighbor for seven years. Jesus is going to give us a very different way to think about who our neighbors are. In fact, he's going to give us a different way to think about who our enemies are and how to treat our enemies. Scripture, we already looked at how Paul describes reading Scripture differently through Jesus than otherwise we would. That's something that I think is true. I think you can read Scripture, and there's all kinds of ways that you can see it, but what we're asked to do is take off the veil and begin to see Scripture through who Jesus is. Questions about life and questions about death. Questions about ethics. I mean, get, it doesn't take very long uh, to get on Twitter and to see what's trending. People are interested in debating ethical questions. And people often struggle with how to do so with any clear answers and how to do so while still respecting the, the value of another human being who might disagree with you. Jesus is going to give us some very helpful ways to approach difficult ethical questions. The church, uh, sexuality, human sexuality, and identity, those are big questions in the world today. We're going to view those differently as followers of Jesus than perhaps otherwise we would. Creation, the world around us, the stars on the sky and the things that we see, there's meaning and there's value and there's beauty to those things when you begin to see them through the lens of the creator. Um, That's one thing we're going to try to do this year. We're going to talk about speech, The way we speak to others, and certainly the way we speak about others, should be different as followers of Jesus. Entertainment. How is it that we view entertainment in this world? What types of things uh, do we consider to be uh, the most enjoyable uh, pastimes? What types of things might infringe upon our Christian walk uh, if we're not careful? These are all relevant questions. They're all questions every one of us faces. They're questions every one of us is going to face this year. And so throughout the year, we're going to try to focus on how to view these questions, view these topics, view all sorts of different uh, topics and ideas with glasses on, the lens of which is Jesus, his love, his ethics, his teachings, his cross, his life, his death, his resurrection, and how that changes how we view the world around us. So I'm excited for 2023. Uh, I, uh, I hope it's a wonderful year for us each as individuals. I believe it will be a wonderful year for this church as a whole. I believe God will be honored. I believe we will grow. Uh, and I, I want you to be a part of that journey. And I hope that this uh, theme and this series of lessons will be relevant to each and every one of us here, will be relevant as we face our lives and as we uh, deal with other people, as we try to live as followers of Jesus. But here's the challenge uh, as we begin 2023. Try to take off your veil that's blocking you from seeing Jesus in the world around you. That's the language Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 3. Put on uh, your Jesus glasses is some of the language that I've been using here in this lesson. But, uh, But look at the world anew through Jesus. Let's begin to try to see Jesus in everything we do. Let's see Jesus in the world around us, but then also view the world around us through what we know about 
Jesus and what we've experienced in him. And as you do so, you'll begin to see things differently. Maybe that fight you've been having with that coworker might begin to take on a, a new perspective or a new life if you begin to see it this way. Maybe the fight you've been having with your spouse. Maybe the question you have about how to train your children. Maybe the question you have about some of the big political things that frustrate you so much and that make you have enemies that perhaps otherwise you wouldn't have. Begin to look at each of these issues through the lens of Jesus and see how it changes you. Um, If there's anyone here this morning who would like to become a Christian, who would like to commit to seeing the world afresh and anew, through the coming of Jesus, please let that be known. You can uh, talk to some of our elders in the back. You can come up forward. We can talk to you, study with you. You can name Jesus as Lord of your life and have your sins washed away in baptism. It's a great way to start a new year. If there's anyone here who has the need, please let it be known while we stand and as we sing.